Well, after last week considering the parable of the prodigal son, we'll continue our focus on some of the parables that Jesus told during his earthly ministry this week. I don't uh, make it a practice to throw out much Greek, the uh, language the New Testament was written in primarily, and that's for good reason. It was further confirmation of God's grace that I somehow passed two Greek classes in seminary. I still don't know exactly how that happened, but my my recollection of Greek, as spotty as it is, notwithstanding, I thought I would share a little bit because this is one that I do remember. Parable. It's a literal translation. I think that's usually called a transliteration of two Greek words that we've put together to form our English word. So if you break down the words para, which we use often, it's a Greek prefix that we use often in our language today, a couple of, a couple of uh, examples, paramedic, a doctor beside. I had never thought of it that way before, but it makes sense. This one who responds, this doctor who comes to you and is there where you are. Paralegal, beside an attorney, an assistant to the attorney. Parallel, famous road here in Kansas City, Kansas, beside each other. Paragraph, written beside. Never thought about it that way either, but you think of a paragraph and the way it continues and <clears throat> stands uh, beside other paragraphs. I think you're catching on. Para means beside. Bole. Now this one I remembered in Greek because I came up with this pneumatic device. It was close enough to the word ball Bole, that I could remember that it meant to throw. So, put them together, para, beside, bole, to throw. It literally means to throw beside, to cast beside. Said another way, it's a short story designed to illustrate and teach some deeper or greater truth. Consider that definition as we hear these words from Luke 16, beginning with the 19th verse. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be, fil- who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And sent Lazarus to dip the end of his fingers in water And cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. 
And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. (coughs) And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This parable is uh, probably one of the more graphic and challenging ones that Jesus shared. There's a theme throughout of gates or confinement, the typical purpose of a gate. It comes encapsulated within one of the major emphases of Luke, who we believe wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, having to do with money, possessions, and the way we use those resources that God has given us. Luke includes details that some other Gospel writers do not, that make it clear that money and possessions is not some sort of guarantee of God's blessing or favor. Think of the way Luke presents Jesus' arrival on earth, which we were considering about a month ago at this time. How Jesus came in great humility to a poor young maiden, carpenter, without even a regular structure to be born in when he was born in the stable. We didn't read it this particular Christmas season, but following up with that, Mary and Joseph present Jesus at the temple, and they offer a turtle dove rather than a lamb as a sacrifice in thanksgiving to God for this birth of the new child. A turtle dove, an offering of a turtle dove would be indicative of a family who had less means than others, couldn't afford a lamb. Teaching about the poor being blessed in chapter 6 of Luke, we read specifically, blessed are the poor. Sounds like the Beatitudes from Matthew, where Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But as Luke recounts Jesus' teaching, it was just, blessed are the poor. In the book of Acts, as the church comes together, we see a continued theme of resources and specifically the sharing of resources. In Acts 2, as the newly formed Jerusalem community shares their goods together. Remember that story of Ananias and Sapphira? They come to the apostles and they say, I think it is Ananias first who presents this gift to the apostles. And he says, I've sold a field. I think it's Peter. I'd have to go back and look for sure. But Peter says, have you brought all of the proceeds in essence. And Ananias says, yes. Well, he was not being truthful as he kept back some of 
what he was uh, uh, purporting to present as an offering to God. And God struck him down and he died. And the people were carrying out his body and Sapphira, his wife, came in and the same thing happened. She says, yes, and she too is stricken down by God and she dies for lying about things related to possessions. And then one of the most uh, understated verses in all of Scripture, uh, the congregation was gripped with awe and fear when they saw these two folk who uh, died right after presenting an offering. (laughs) Perhaps so nowhere in either book, Luke or Acts, is the message more poignant than this parable as it relates to goods, resources, money. Then this parable that we typically call the rich man and Lazarus. I used a little, it's parable-like to cast alongside an idea that we're familiar with. A gated community. We, of course, have doors on our house, but... And there are a few, a few homes that I've seen before with kind of a gate at the entryway of their driveway, but typically more common for there to be a gate at the uh, outside of the community itself. In first century, there would often be a gate to keep out those not included in the family and protect those inside. The rich man lived in one such house. Jesus describes a man who was extremely wealthy, demonstrated in what he wore, shown by what he ate. And often, as is the case in parables, there's this direct contrast between the two primary individuals, the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man. Lazarus wore sores, Jesus explained, instead of fine linens. He longed for crumbs as the dogs were licking at him. It's a graphic description of pretty abject poverty. While there are similarities between this and other parables, there is one thing that makes this parable very unique. This is the only one of Jesus' parables in which a participant is given a name. Good Samaritan, a title, no specific name. Prodigal son, even. We were talking about the father and the older brother and the younger brother last week without any specific names to identify them. There are other times when Jesus includes a farmer in his parable or a sower or a king, even. But Jesus wanted his hearers to be able to more readily identify this man who was probably make-believe. He was telling a story, trying to convey a point. But to identify with him, he gave him the name and the rich man just his title. While living on earth, the rich man, it appears, never noticed Lazarus. His gated community, his dated home, provided him a sense of separateness and seclusion that afforded him the ability to overlook someone he may have literally had to step over 
every day as he left his home. While I don't think, at least I can speak for my household, I don't think any of us gathered here live with the ostentatious, and that word means exactly what it sounds like. This any ostentation, any word that has four syllables means, you know, extra, huh? <laughs> it means there, there's a lot with it. Extreme wealth. Probably none of us live in the kind of wealth described of the rich man, but we're all comfortable. Extravagantly wealthy relative to the majority of the world. Very few of us have ever come into direct contact with someone as destitute as Lazarus was. It exists, no doubt, even within our own communities. But we too can live with something of a gate if we want to. We can blind our eyes, look away, change the channel, close the newspaper, click off the web page that describes someone in great poverty. But in this parable, Lazarus represents the overlooked in whatever financial shape they're in. And too often, we, I, am just as guilty as a rich man and just choose to walk by. Well, life ends for the rich man and for Lazarus. Though their life on earth was pretty well a direct contrast, they both die. And their eternities, as Jesus explains them, were also in direct contrast. Unfortunately for the rich man, his fine clothes were replaced with fire. Fine foods were replaced with overwhelming thirst. Rather than the gate representing protection for the rich man, he is the one now confined. Their distance is now physical rather than relational or socioeconomic. In the parable, Abraham explains that this confinement is made permanent by a wide chasm. The roles are reversed as the rich man is now the one looking in. There still seems to be an impersonal approach that the rich man takes to Lazarus. He doesn't even address Lazarus. He addresses Abraham. Still appears that he thought of Lazarus as something, as his, something of his servant. The rich man pleased with Abraham to allow Lazarus to dip water from his finger onto the rich man's tongue or to go back to the rich man's family. This comes as something of a surprise, I think, in the parable, that the rich man kind of expresses this display of humanity, concern for someone else other than him, when he says, send him to my father's house so that he can warn my five brothers. Abraham explained that they had all of the testimony that they needed already. If he was going to his father's house, and we know enough about first century uh, familial living arrangements to know that oftentimes 
A father would own a home and there would be something of almost like a compound where they would all live within the same property. So that means his brothers, his father, during Lazarus' earthly life, also had to step over Lazarus. He was at their gate too. The the request of the rich man is that Lazarus now be admitted into the gate that for all these years, at least as Jesus presents this story in this particular parable, let him in instead of making him lay outside. A parable always leaves this sense of being unfinished. This sense of the hearers being responsible to complete it. We talked about that last week with the story of the prodigal son, his elder brother. Would he go inside or would he not? I think the question for us, most likely, is to think about the folk who we have placed at at least mentally as somehow outside of our gate. Outside of our circle. Just to maybe make it easier to think about who that may be for you as I think about who that may be for me. Sometimes it's people who think differently, look differently. Shoot. But we want to get real, vote differently. huh? <laughs> Go to a different type of a church than we do. Whatever the case may be, the possibilities are endless. But we can get to the point where we are way more similar to the rich man than we would ever want to be. When we literally just kind of step over them and display at least in that moment of forgetfulness, that God made them too. And that the Lord Jesus loves them just as much as he loves us. That they, just like Lazarus did for the rich man, represent Christ Jesus. The call of the gospel this morning is for us to be very careful not to allow the gates that we have erected even within our own minds to confine us and prevent us from being the witnesses of Jesus' love that he asks us to be. Let's pray.